could actually take take public transit and get to the beach um, that way. And so creating a bathroom so people can stay for more than 20, 30 minutes um, seemed like a pretty key component of that. And at first people shot it down and now it's back. And so that's exciting and, um, and worth uh, fighting for, I think, as there, if we want a truly accessible beach. Yeah, they're building this uh, boondoggle of a light rail uh, and they're tunneling <laughs> through there. We're just in like a bathroom. It's just a, it's a bridge too far or a tunnel too far uh, to have a bathroom. We're rolling. We're rolling. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. This is the Wedge Live Podcast. I'm your host, John Edwards, and today we're talking about the Cedar Isles Master Plan. It's an issue that's close to my heart. I am often over on Lake of the Isles, uh, Lake Cedar Lake, walking around. I love to be in the woods at Cedar Lake. That's one of my favorite places in the city. And the park board uh, is going through a master planning process. I want to I want to insert this at the beginning of the episode, uh, plugging the 45-day comment period, uh, which goes until March 10th. And uh, we're we're going to include a link to how you can do that in in the show description. And I'm going to be speaking with someone who served on the Community Advisory Committee, the CAC, and his name is Aaron Schaefer. Aaron, are you a meteorologist? <laughs> I I am. Yeah, I spent my first eight years out of um, out of college after going for atmospheric and oceanic sciences as a television meteorologist. A tell it on what what uh, channel? So well, so you you start out in pretty small places. So I had to move away to Wyoming and then South Dakota. And then I was in Iowa and came back to Minneapolis to um, help start a national weather channel, Weather Nation. I had assumed maybe you worked for the government in that capacity, and I was going to make fun of uh, the occupation, saying it's a job that I think only exists on TV. But it turns out you were a a TV uh, weatherman? Yeah, yep. All roads lead lead that way. Um, Yeah, I kind of operate under the radar now. And now you're doing, uh, uh, you're serving on a park board CAC, which is far more glamorous. Uh, I want to talk to you at the end about what a terrible process I think uh, these CACs are, these community advisory committees are. But let's let's get to the substance of the issue first in case people want to tune out towards the end when we uh, start shit talking. What is the master planning process about? What are like the non-controversial things that it's trying to achieve. I know water quality is a big one, but like take us very briefly through like the basics of what this is trying to achieve. Yeah, so it's it's a long-term plan. Um, so 20 to 30 year type of level. Um, and essentially they broke it down for us into two halves. One is water quality. Um, and then one is access and circulation. 
and uh, and so we met for, I believe the the nomination process started in 2019, and then in 2020 was when we held our first meetings, and then um, 2021 more meetings, and 2022 um, was when the CAC process finally wrapped up um, uh, back in fall of 2022. So it was almost a three-year process. Eventually, then, you come together, vote on the master plan, and that's presented to the Met Council um, as part of, the, part of their funding process. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, so the water quality was trying to kind of correct some issues, which we, we learned there's a lot of um, during the process, um, and uh, add things. And so, so kind of on the lines of some good positives that came out of it, there's things now such as um, rain gardens that are suggested in the master plan. Um, where you might have, rather than one individual parking spot, they might create uh, somewhat, I, th I think something like a swale where there'd be a curb cut that water can go in and be filtered before it enters the water system. So are we losing parking uh, to add rain gardens? We may be losing, losing um, a couple parking spots, yeah. What, so was that controversial? That surprisingly wasn't that controversial. Um, it may be in this... Um, 45 day comment period. Um, but, uh, but during, the, at least within the CAC, I, th I think it was either unanimous or almost unanimous to have those. As someone who's often walking uh, like the aisles in Cedar Lake, I don't really see parking as a, it, do it doesn't seem to be the parking is a big issue. There's no crunch for parking. So essentially what, what I'm hoping, um, there's, there's some great things that were included in the plan or maybe we're sort of included in the plan. And so what I'm, what I'm trying to do is um, rally anyone who kind of cares about these things, um, hopefully in favor of them, to either fill out a comment that's on the master plan website or email their um, park board commissioner and or at-large commissioners, depending on their motivation. Um, hopefully all three of those options, that would be ideal. Um, just, I, I think during the process, there were a lot of voices heard from neighbors of the lakes and, um, maybe about 20 to 30 voices. And those people would show up at every meeting in person, online. And then I, I'm nearly certain they were emailing their park board representative. And so I think hearing from, um, uh, some fresh voices, hopefully well, in that's, favor that's of what a CAC is all about, Aaron. It's about people who live <laughs> right on a park telling the park board what they want it's not about the people who use it certainly the park. felt felt that way uh, that's why i hate this form of engagement it is so totally focused on people for whom the park is their backyard uh trying to make it the park as unusable as possible for people who don't happen to live across the street from it but that that is a topic for later so the the kind of going off of people um kind of treating treating the parks as their own backyard and neighbors having a strong voice in the CAC process. Um, one great example of that is, is the East, East Cedar Woods, um, which is um, a lot of the neighbors described as secluded and one, wonderfully secluded. And That's how I would um, describe it, Aaron. That's exactly how I would. That's kind of what I love about it. Are you telling me that's going away? 
I will say it's not going away, um, okay, but I do good. think some people think it is. Um, okay. And one, one of the biggest fears that people have had is um, if you go into those woods, say, 20 times, you might encounter some bicyclists a few of those times. Yeah, there's someone on like a very heavy duty like mountain bike off-roading. It's uh doesn't happen very often, but you will occasionally see that. So so my kind of strategy and I'm I'm on the bicycle advisory committee, I'm on some other I've been on other um boards or neighborhood committees and my strategy is more I'm more of a pragmatist, so I see a problem and try to fix it and um I lean maybe a little bit more in favor of um, pedestrians and cyclists and transportation users. And so uh, essentially what I, what I identified with this, this particular one was that we have, we have a, a system of only pedestrian trails, um, but cyclists opt into using them sometimes. And uh, so what I suggested um, was that we solve that problem with a um, soft path bicycling trail um and soft path mostly because there there seemed to be stronger pushback against any sort of pavement in the woods from neighbors and so it seemed like a soft path might be more likely to get in but uh essentially you would give people a route an actual official route to go through those woods um by bike and um and then there'd also be pedestrian paths too and they'd be they could be separate um, and clearly marked and official. Point of the bike trail will be to connect to what? So the point of the bike trail would be kind of essentially to close the loop on um, on Cedar Lake. So you'd have um, some way, like it still would be indirect because there's no pedestrians or bicycle paths proposed for that southeast corner of Cedar. Um, but you'd be able to kind of go into the woods a little bit parallel and then bypass the light rail station that'll be the new light rail station that'll be at the intersection of the Kenilworth Trail and the Cedar Lake Trail uh, and so right now there's it's kind of if you look at a map it almost looks like an arrowhead um, it's very sharp point where you'd have to actually go decently a few minutes out of your way if you're trying to ride around Cedar Lake. So from what I was hearing is that a lot of the reason people were cutting through the lake, through the woods was because it, maybe it was fun because <laughs> it's woods and if you're on a mountain bike that'd be fun. Right. Um, and then the other reason is just because they'd have to go pretty far out of their way just to avoid those woods and so this would solve that. Uh, here, here's a related question if I can remember it. Uh, oh, they're removing some of those like unofficial trails are you familiar with that issue like some of the trails are going away how do you because those are kind of like i don't know what the official term would be but maybe desire path is, is a term i'm familiar with but it's like through the woods so how do you how do you make that go away yeah well that's a great question um and uh i think the the some of it is just so i think a lot of the things with the CAC um, outcomes are kind of wishes in some ways. Why do we and that want was that what to I was go trying away? To get across. Yeah, I think I. Th it's a great question. Um, I so the it's it's hard. So sometimes I think I've kind of gotten into this 
trap sometimes of um of like where I've kind of put myself into a box to be able to negotiate with some of the other members of the CAC or the community. And so I, I think I, I personally probably would want paths to stay. Um, the, uh, there are a number of people, some of them on the CAC who are, um, under the impression that extra paths will be bad for wildlife and nature. And so they want to fill them in and, um, I don't know with what exactly or how, but uh, essentially try to return them to nature hmm. in some fashion. So we can go on to uh, number two, the permanent or 1B on this list here, permanent bathroom uh, on East Cedar. Uh, tell me what that's about. Bathrooms are very contentious. This is like a recurring issue with park planning. Yeah, this was so bathrooms being an issue was very new to me on this um that was actually one of my big just takeaways overall was i i came away with i guess my own set of things i thought were kind of just a given and one of them i would have thought would be a bathroom at every wake um and uh turns out i was wrong (laughs) on that um but yeah there's so the same people who there's a group of people both on the cac and neighbors whose number one priority um, seemed to be just wildlife and unspecified wildlife. I don't know if it's deer, um, squirrels, I don't know what exactly we're um, working to protect, um, but just general. And so one of the things they essentially were against any change that would change, that would remove any trees, that would um, not restore forest or prairie to its um, original state, which East Cedar is uh, is mostly just kind of junk from train train track building and things like that and dredging. Um, so it's not really, it never has like, there's not really an original state to return it to, but, um, but essentially they wanted no new structures, no, so no bathrooms, no food structures, um, no pavilions for people to have picnics under and minimal, minimal or no paving, um, which sounds great until you think about, um, ADA accessibility and things like that. And so in a bathroom when, so, so right now the East Cedar Lake beach is, um, is kind of off a bike path. It's kind of hidden, hidden beach is obviously its traditional name. Um, and shortly in the next few years, hopefully there will be a Southwest light, light rail will finish and there will be a stop, um, that will actually be just right next to Cedar Lake beach. And so, um, no matter what neighbors and wildlife enthusiasts push for, there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands more people, probably a month during the summer months visiting that beach. And so getting ahead of that and creating a welcoming environment, um, especially because light rail potentially could bring people not just from Eden Prairie, but also people in North Minneapolis or near North with the Penn Avenue stop um, could actually take, take public transit and get to the beach um, that way. And so creating a bathroom so people can stay for more than 20, 30 minutes, um, 
uh, seemed like a pretty key component of that. And at first people shot it down and now it's back. And so that's exciting and, um, and worth uh, fighting for, I think, as they're, if we want a truly accessible beach. Yeah, they're building this uh, boondoggle of a light rail uh, and they're tunneling <laughs> through there. We're just in like a bathroom. It's just a, it's a bridge too far or a tunnel too far uh, to have a bathroom. Yeah, it definitely felt during the process like the, the folks that are in the path of the light rail um, who are also the path, in the path of this much more low-touch master plan um, are very uh, adept at fighting fighting these battles right now because um, they came ready to ready to fight. <laughs> yeah, you're going up against the most highly trained NIMBYs in Minneapolis, and they've and they're very angry because they've lost a big battle, uh, and they're going to take that on this process. Okay, so you could send a comment in support of a bathroom if you want. Here's a here's a follow up question related to: I went to one of these CAC meetings and I saw you get pelted with anger from the crowd. And I don't I don't remember if this was directed at you, and I don't even know if it was an angry comment. I think it was one of the CAC members said that. Temporary bathrooms are superior to permanent structured bathrooms because often structured bathrooms are locked up. Like a building that contains a bathroom is often just locked for most of the day or overnight or something. And when you need it, it's not open. Porta potty, on the other hand, you can access at all hours. And so, what if we build this bathroom and it's just locked up at all times? Yeah, well, that would be sad, um, first of all. And uh, I do think that they should be open more. Um, and I think I understand, I, I can probably guess why they're closed at certain times. Um, and and also, I think part of that reason, the same reason that people, people are probably worried about someone congregating in there, maybe staying there, people doing things other than just using the bathroom when they're visiting the beach. And um, I think that's what the neighbors maybe are afraid of too. Um, and I, I just, I think there's other solutions to the problem people are worried about. There's a bathroom on the on the south side of beach that's often locked. Often locked, locked during the winter, I believe. Um, and uh, yeah, I think when we had the opportunity to address just the, the park board at our, I think our final or maybe second to last CAC meeting, just asked us just kind of generally what we thought about a permanent bathroom. And when you didn't specify a location, it felt like most people were in favor of it. Um, my comment was that I would like a permanent bathroom somewhere, um, but that it should be open 24 seven. Um, and, uh, and should be open in the winter for sure. Um, Cause that's so heated, a heated bathroom that, is open in the winter would open up a lot more recreation opportunity. Uh, people are uh, very much in support of hypothetical bathrooms. The, the idea of using the bathroom, people are very much in support of. But when you tell them where it's going to be, <laughs> oh, not there. No bathroom there. Okay, Let, let's go on to issue two. So issue two. Yeah, so if you go on the northwest corner of Cedar Lake um, as a biker or pedestrian or what, whatever, really, you have a... 12 foot wide sometimes path sometimes 11 sometimes like 10 and a half feet wide 
encompassing all of the pedestrians and two-way bicycle traffic. Um, and then, and really what it does is it kind of ruins that corner of the lake as a park user. Because you, if you're over there and you're trying to walk, you kind of constantly have to be, or run, you have to constantly be aware of where bike traffic is. And if you're a cyclist, you constantly have to be aware of not just other cyclists, but pedestrians that kind of spill over into the bikeway. I think the pedestrian portion is three feet wide right now, roughly. And so it's around eight feet wide for bicycles. Um, and the edge of the pedestrian path closest to the lake is kind of crumbling. So that's where you kind of lose a foot or so in some spots. And, uh, and to me, this is one of the most beautiful places in the whole city. And so you could easily squeeze the parkway in a little bit to narrow the parkway, still keep it two-way traffic. Um, one of the initial plan ideas actually closed one direction to buy back about 10 feet of space. Um, but folks fought that and it was, it didn't seem feasible to actually get the CAC to vote in favor of that. And so I kind of switched tactics to just um, either kind of a boardwalk or, so people, neighbors are very against a boardwalk. And so I should be careful with my wording with that. <laughs> um, but it's some sort of a ledge slash boardwalk. Like, so are we talking about the, the trail that goes like east-west uh, across the north side of the lake? Or is it the part that turns to the south? Like which part? Because there's kind of like a bridge, a wooden bridge thing there already, right? Yeah, so it's it's before that. So if you picture, it's, it's the part that's along the road. And so it's okay. between maybe 21st Street and, yeah. and the bridge, the bridges. I know exactly where you're talking about, the, the crumbly path. I marked down, what was the last thing you said? Uh, I was. It reminded me of a, a comment from that meeting. The um, Oh, the boardwalk? Oh, yeah. Oh, here we go. I was going to do a segment where I read my old tweets and then you tell me what the outcome was. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah. It was going to be like a game that show. That could work. And I have the direct quote here. We live in this neighborhood. We pay the taxes. Now there's a boardwalk we didn't ask for. <laughs> oh, no. So, uh, that cack was so painful, but also one. kind of hilarious. If you didn't have to be there and endure the pain in person, it was... Uh, I went back and read my live tweets. It was so, so much funnier than I remember. Uh, that was um. That was quite the quote. Yeah, that was, I believe that was the sentiment. You could apply that sentiment to about 15 to 20 other people I kind of got to know over those two to three years. So what does the boardwalk have to do with widening the the bike path? How are those things, two things related? Yeah, so, so kind of a standard bike path width for a two-way bikeway is um, a minimum of 10 feet. And so... Um, and then a standard pedestrian path would be about eight feet. Really, we, I was just kind of pushing for the absolute minimum here of a 10 foot and eight foot pedestrian path. Um, but to, it seems like it's not really possible to do that without extending, without either removing some car, a direction of car traffic or extending that ledge kind of over the lake slightly. Um, and so that's kind of where the idea grew, was just to 
get to that bare minimum. Um, one interesting thing of note was that the same people who were saying that the eight foot wide current bike path is fine for two way traffic were the same people who said Lake of the Isles 10 foot wide path could never support two way bike traffic and we shouldn't have it there because it's unsafe. Yeah. Are you saying their arguments don't make sense? There's a lot of contradictions. <laughs> I might be. Yeah, there's a couple contradictions. We'll get to that later. Okay, so you, tell tell people you like the boardwalk and you make these paths wide enough for bikes and comfortable enough for pedestrians. Don't be squeezing them. Another thing, you mentioned the parkways for cars. They're so wide. Yeah. They're so incredibly wide. They're very Do you wide. have the numbers on how wide the parkways are, both around Cedar and Lake of the Isles? Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little rusty on my numbers and don't have them with me, but I do. I did actually go out with another CAC member, um, Josh, and he and I used um, giant measuring tapes and actually measured the widths of the parkway, and we found that you could easily trim out um, plenty of space to create two-way bike facilities anywhere where there wasn't where there kind of wasn't initially supposed to be space there's so much space um, we're fighting over like inches on the side of the road when the parkways are wider than than city streets it's there's so much space yeah and those same parkways um especially on the northwest corner of cedar is where you'll see people kind of trying to race to costco or something um they uh not there so what we what we heard a lot of was how people can people maybe want to bike maybe want to walk to enjoy the the park but that there's this huge subset of users who can only use it by car and um the eye test hasn't really matched with that when i whenever i'm over there i'm mostly seeing people driving 40 35 40 50 miles per hour sometimes another contradiction is they will often say like you, this isn't for commuting by bike. It, nobody should be commuting by bike. You should be riding your bike slow in one way. If you need to get someplace uh, on time, take another route. And at the same time, I mean, those are the same people who are like, uh, I need the parkway to be super wide and fast because, for example, the church on Lake of the Isles, I think uh, a guy from the church was like, this is a commuter church. This is not a neighborhood church. People are driving in to go to this church. And you can't like narrow the roadway so there's another contradiction commuting by car through our parks fine commuting by bike no don't do that that's that's illegitimate yeah that is that was one of my big takeaways um from this process i i had no idea um but yeah we um you're also not allowed i don't think to go visit anything um using the parkways except for the parks so you can't you can't go to a bar or restaurant using the parkways is what one thing I learned from. Unless you're in a car, go to the bar, then go to church. So th- this is a nice lead into the two way bicycle path on Lake of the Isles. I think you'll have an interesting story to tell on this one because I was fascinated by that uh, conversation at the one meeting I went to. When the idea was first presented, um, neighbors in the chat on the because we were we were online at that point for the CAC meetings. Neighbors in the chat expressed their long-held sentiments that two-way bicycling around Lake of the Isles was unnecessary. Um, 
it was it kind of changed the way we operated the online CAC meetings because their opposition came was so strong that their voices actually drowned out the voices of actual CAC members. Um, even though they were kind of just supposed to be sitting in with us um, and probably lending a voice. Like, we didn't want them to be silent, but um, letting everyone speak would be good. And so uh, what happened is there, we the project team between those people and then the CAC members who were against it kind of drowned out any voices that might be in favor of it. And so we really never discussed it. Um, like we discussed it for a few minutes after hearing about all the neighbors um, against it, and it ended up being removed from the final from the draft plan um, released in 2022. Um, it was except with a couple odd add-ins, and so in some ways those odd add-ins of brief two-way segments in a couple spots enabled me to have some stronger discussions with people and um, have some one-on-one -on -one chats and eventually learn that most people actually are in favor of two-way bikeways, even though it felt like most people were against it. And so in the end, we were able to um, work that into the final plan kind of as a little asterisk. So as a, as a future potential two-way, uh, pending the reconstruction of the parkway? Yeah. And so, yeah, so that was the, that was kind of the big compromise was essentially that, so I went out and measured the street widths and found that there's enough width that you could shrink the parkway to, which would make it safer for drivers, pedestrians, and cyclists um, to a much more kind of stand, the new standard of street widths um, and keep all the parking. Um, Cause I didn't even, I knew there was, that was a losing battle. So I didn't, I never lobbied anybody to try to remove parking um, uh, and just figured that would sort itself out. But uh, the um, so you could remove enough street width to keep the parking, keep both directions or, or one direction, I guess, on Lake of the Isles and still add enough width or still have enough width available to add the add a second direction of bike traffic with no additional pavement. And so I. By doing that, it was it was a little tricky because it um, tricky in a good way in that it bypassed all of the all of the NIMBY arguments I had heard up to that point were negated when you figured out you could keep the same amount of car traffic and keep all the parking and not expand um, the overall footprint of paved space, but still add two way biking. So. One of the arguments against uh, the the two-way bike path, which I learned of watching you speak at that meeting, was that people are very against adding more uh, pavement uh, because of pollution. Uh, the, the argument is uh, impervious surfaces, water runoff into our lakes, just uh, pollution. And then you had like a water quality expert who was also on the CAC, is that true? Anna, I think her name is Anna. Uh, Anna Elyria. I'm going to read one of my tweets from that meeting. Anna, the water quality professional, tells a commenter that adding a paved trail to a section of Cedar Lake is not a significant source of pollution compared to cars on parkways and in parking lots and the size of the watershed draining into the lake. 
people like zero in on a little bit of pavement for a bike lane as a huge source of pollution and totally ignore just the massive amount of car infrastructure that we build into our parks. I mean, if you really cared about water quality and impervious surfaces and pollution, uh, you, you'd be going to war against all of the parking lots and the super wide, uh, you know, parkways and all of that, but, but they don't. It feels like this is just an excuse to uh, take a bite out of bike lanes. I definitely agree with that. I definitely think that's what's going on. Um, Because the the car, the the watersheds, I I was actually one of the most shocking, because I I learned a lot during this process, a lot of just kind of things about people, but also a lot of things about the parks. And one thing that was most surprising to me was that we have huge watersheds that drain streets, all those storm drains over portions of uptown and places just kind of all surrounding um, these these two lakes have water just directly draining right into them from the streets. And so to single out bike lanes or even the parkway, parkways themselves for cars are pretty minimal compared to the rest of it that's draining in. Right. So your solution to that, you... you... Even taking into consideration that it's a bogus complaint, you kind of threaded that kind of gracefully and tried to find a compromise by putting the other direction of the two-way bike lane. We have the existing one direction around Lake of the Isles. Your solution was, well, the other direction, we're just going to put it on the street because the street can accommodate it. And so uh, congratulations on finding an elegant solution. Yeah, it was, um, it worked out. Uh, addition of a pedestrian walkway parallel to the bike path between Point Beach on Cedar Lake and 24th Street. Uh, that's controversial. So this one isn't isn't as exciting sounding. I can't even picture it. <laughs> this is going to be a terrible podcast episode because we're asking people to to picture in their minds uh, <laughs> the designs of well, streets. I, I have a I have a visual. I have a visual I can suggest. Um, if anyone's biked around Point Beach on the west side of Cedar Lake, and they see people, there's a stop sign over there, and you'll see you'll see people carrying their kayaks or canoes. Um, and because at that spot the bike path is maybe ten feet higher up than the pedestrian path, and there might be it's kind of a steep grade between the two. Um, people crossing with their boats will just walk in the bike lane for. A couple blocks or a block or whatever it is that they're wherever they park basically and so you you'll have it's kind of a narrow bike path at that point too and so you'll have people walking to get to the beach on the bike path even though there's a pedestrian path just below it and and this one kind of goes back to how wide the parkway is that there's essentially plenty of room to shrink the parkway down and add what I kind of, what I was trying to call like a pedestrian landing or something. I I think we're calling it a pedestrian walkway now. Um, But essentially just like an actual spot that pedestrians with their canoes or whatever can cross over, walk with their canoe and get to the lake without having to walk in the bike lane. Because they can't access the pedestrian level because of uh, its uh, different elevations. That's a a very... uh... That's getting really down into the details. Who brought this concern to you? Is this something you noticed personally, or did someone? I think yeah, this was something I 
I suggested, I think. So you, you must be over there all the time. Um, yeah, either running, biking, or um, yeah, kayaking or canoeing. And the next issue that could potentially uh, be controversial, ensure any soft surface paths are ADA accessible. Are you, are you telling me ADA accessibility is controversial now? It seems to be. Um, I think it's more, well, I think what, what, what opponents of the paths in the woods who are the, the wildlife, the pro-wildlife crowd, the anti-pedestrian crowd, um, essentially didn't want anything to change at all in the woods. And so the addition of paths, even soft surface paths, was, um, was controversial. And so, um, so what we ended up kind of compromising on was a soft surface path. And one of the ones suggested was a wood chip path, and, which would kind of be tough for someone with a cane or something like that. And so, so what I would urge um, someone to do is to just request that any paths in the woods be something that's ADA accessible. Like I, I picture like crushed limestone or something like that as a path where a wheelchair can easily roll on it and it's stable enough for someone with a cane to use. Um, probably paving it would be the real solution, but... Um, but that might get it struck from the plan. And so that's that's been my fear. You know, Aaron, I can kind of see people's points wanting the woods to stay the same. And that's only because I like walking through those woods. And uh, I was kind of irritated when I saw the, the certain paths were going away. Uh, because I, you, there's a bias against you. You want to take the walk you've always taken. And I kind of like that it's not uh, paved over. I like taking those walks. It's something different. And so... I don't know. Maybe I'm the NIMBY now, Aaron. Maybe I'm the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone's a NIMBY at some point. Um, yeah, I think I, I definitely see the argument for for not doing it and the one for doing it, um, which sometimes is my curse and some sometimes helps. And, and it helped with this project to see both sides and be able to kind of thread the needle between them all. We need people like you willing to be, beat your head against the wall. That's, it felt like that happened a lot. Oh, I was very thankful for some positive outcomes oh, in the end. Um, but yeah, I think I think if you just, I I think the key is to leave ADA accessible probably open-ended and not try to specify some sort of exact surface and just kind of leave it leave it at that and hope that the park board will choose the right thing. Did we already talk about rain gardens? We briefly talked about them, um, but yeah, they essentially you'd take some parking spots, I think just a couple per lake, and um, convert them into rain gardens, um, and you'd lose pretty minimal amount of parking and gain quite a bit in, um, in water quality improvements, a surprising amount. Seems like a no-brainer. There's not a huge demand for parking, so do it. I'm not totally sure that there's going to be a huge fight against those, but I think they're so important right. that it's worth just complementing them in the plan, um, just in case. Because so I think anytime you lose parking. It's such a big win for low cost. And there are a lot of things like this, and it's with all kinds of planning processes, like people are doing the wrong, decision makers are doing the wrong thing because enough people with bad ideas complained about it. And like... If, so, if you can't do something like this because, you know, 
12 people complained about it and no one else knew it was happening. And uh, I don't know, it can get you down thinking about how we make mistakes in planning. But that, that's why you're listening yeah. to this episode and you're going to comment on this plan because if you don't comment in favor of the good stuff, uh, it won't happen. We'll do bad things for stupid reasons. Let's go to number seven. Yeah, so so number seven kind of goes back to the... I, I often refer to the people trying to get to Costco in a fast way. Um, and part of that is I'm guilty of it myself. Um, going to Costco, at least, not necessarily speeding down the parkway. Um, but uh, but it's on the way. It's, a, it's right just a mile or so east of that um, St. Louis Park Costco. And so people will cut through there. Um, either from north or south. Um, they're maybe coming from work too, not always Costco. But uh, essentially, when I was measuring these roads, a lot of them had 8 to 10 feet of extra width that you could easily trim out without reducing the traffic capacity of the roads and without taking away parking. And so what I, and it's been proven that, that, that these narrower roads and then adding in some other features can help make these roads safer um, through traffic calming. And so, so some of the things that I suggest in my list is a significant road diet, a significant road reduction, uh, to trim it down to the absolute minimum it needs to be for two-way traffic. Um, and then adding in some traffic calming features. Um, if anyone's been along Grand Avenue during the reconstruction that just happened in the last couple of years, they added things called hardened center lines that that you can drive over, but they kind of act as like a almost a further narrowing of the road, even though technically it's just pinning cars to their side they're supposed to be on. Um, it feels it just kind of makes it feel a little bit more narrow. And I think if you add features like that, um, things like chicanes where people have to kind of move around and they're not just driving in a straight line. Um, some bump, pedestrian bump outs to really further shorten those crossing distances, um, especially near some of the beaches. Um, you could really make it so that people are actually driving at 20 miles per hour or less in the parkways. And you can add some of those features like uh, rain gardens. Like there's a traffic safety, pedestrian safety, bicycle safety, and like environmental impacts of on the water quality all by just narrowing the roads it gives you space to do other things and just like adding more green stuff adding more trees potentially there's we're wasting so much space so people can drive fast to costco as you said i didn't even know that this this was a route to costco yeah it's uh it's really a win for everyone all thanks to the fact that those streets were overpaved to begin with um and so while, while I might personally want things to be different or smaller, um, it seemed like, seems like something that could be an easy win um, if enough people are in favor of it. So does the park board have the equivalent of like a transportation action plan? Like it feels like some of these things should be sort of standardized. Like when we're reconstructing a parkway, this is how wide the road needs to be. Maybe we're going to do some traffic calming. We're going to leave space for like if the road is too wide we're going to plant trees we're going to put in rain gardens we're going to put in bump outs is this not standardized are we really fighting about this cack by cack master plan by master plan yeah i i kind of think we are oh that's that's terrible 
that needs to be fixed, right? Yeah, I wonder. I'm not. I'm not quite sure what the process would be for that either. Um, maybe from the elected. It's just wasting a lot of people's time, uh, having people argue about about stuff. Just standardize it. Uh, the park board needs a, a street design guide or something. Well, and kind of what what I'm kind of hoping will come out of this plan is that maybe there's some elements that can be standardized, like the rain gardens. Um, like the narrowing of the parkway, and then also just the basic premise where we solved the, um, in air quotes, solved the two-way biking question for Lake of the Isles, where you you reconstruct the road, make it narrower, and then add that second direction of traffic. Um, that kind of felt like we dis- we discovered the blueprint for how you could add two-way bicycling to all the lakes and the channel lakes. Another thing about the two-way, so in the, in the near term, it's going to like a partial two-way, right? Around part of Lake of the Isles. Yeah, with paint, like a paint solution. So it feels very, it feels unnecessarily confusing because I feel like if somebody who's new, new in town is going to think, well, I'm just going to bike this way around the whole thing. I don't know. There's a lot of people. We should set expectations around the entire lake. I think I just—it's unnecessarily confusing and potentially dangerous that somebody's biking the wrong way in the dark. And just we should set expectations. Yeah, and I think I think anyone who regularly bikes around these lakes has seen plenty of people biking the wrong way. Um, I windsurf on Bidet Makaska and. I, if I'm there for a couple hours, I'll see 10 or 15 people um, ride on bikes or scooters the wrong way. So I'm very excited to meet someone who windsurfs on Bademaka Scott. Did you know there was like a windsurfing contingent who was very upset about the parking lot? I, I'm not uh, familiar enough with yeah. this issue to talk about it uh, intelligently. Didn't they sh- like shrink a... the parking lot and that became like a big controversy? Yeah, it's 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 tough. This is, um, this is where... Um, non-nimbies become nimbies oh did you care very much about that one with windsurfing well so not necessary so yes and no um it it really tested my loyalties as i tend to be anti-parking and pro bike pro um pedestrian pro transit and uh what uh what windsurfing does is it uh, or what you need for that is you on that lake in particular, there's you either launch on the north end or the south end, and there's really no in-between. Um, and So if the winds are coming from the north, you launch from the south end, and if the winds are coming from the south, which in the summer they generally do, you go to that north end. And so on a, on a day where the winds, co- when it's 95 degrees and windy, um, the wind's coming from the south, windsurfers all will want to go to that north beach because it's the only place to launch and so if, and then there's no other place if you're if you're driving in with your gear um, which most people do there's no other place to put your put your car <laughs> to store your car while you're there because um, there's no other parking anywhere anywhere nearby so so that's what stirs up the the emotions <laughs> and I, I think I've heard some stories that are that make me embarrassed for my fellow windsurfers. You feel embarrassed on behalf of the windsurfing community? I do a little bit, yeah. Um, like I, I definitely understand why there is concern, um, but I will say the the way it worked last year worked perfectly, and I don't think there were any issues. 
with the with the skate park added. Here's an idea: we could price parking based on wind direction. If the wind direction is really good for a particular parking lot, price of the parking goes up, and it scares away the non-windsurfers, and it leaves space for the windsurfing crowd to move in. How about that? If, if anyone from the park board is listening, maybe you could work a wind direction into your your parking prices. Dynamic pricing for... I think that could be the, the winner. Here's a topic that I didn't see on your list. And can we include your list, your spreadsheet thing, in the uh, show description for people? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So here, here's an issue that I didn't see mentioned. Eliminate the Cedar Lake encroachments. So it's kind of on the, the southeast side of Cedar Lake, uh, south of the channel. Uh, all of those uh, big old mansions... Basically, their backyard is uh, encroaching on the lake, and you can't get through. And it's pub, it's park property. You should be able to like walk through there. Was anything done with that? Yeah. So, so yeah, that southeast corner of um, Cedar Lake is just a monumental mistake. Whoever first allowed those encroachments to be built um, that make it feel like you're you're even though you're on you'd walk on public land if you walk there that you're walking in someone's personal backyard. Um, and so one of the big goals that I had going into this was that now's the time to do something to restore that to the public. And, uh, unfortunately there was a lot of opposition, um, to that as you, as you may guess. But shouldn't it be just the people who live there? Isn't that the opposition? Why would anyone else be like, yeah, that person's backyard is now is no longer a park board property. That's that's their backyard now. Like, who is in support of that, aside yeah. from the people who live in those giant multi-million dollar homes? Well, that's what. So that's what I assume going into it. I didn't. I didn't think we'd experience opposition. But then, but those people know people, and okay. whether they're politicians or just other people who live nearby who are against all the other aspects of the CAC plan. Um, class solidarity, I guess. Yeah. So you, um, there, there definitely wasn't that much opposition to it. Um, but what you kind of ran into was a combination of that and the people who don't want paths of any sort added. And so suddenly you could fight, you could prevent a path being built by, um, by fighting for the people's encroachments to remain on the Southeast corner. And so, so we kind of threaded the needle on that one too and got um and essentially just asked for a plan to remove those encroachments and restore the beach to its natural state and what i'm kind of hoping is that that's the first step then to maybe in 20 or 30 years the next cac um implementing an actual path that would then be built in 20 to 30 years from then um we have to wait 30 years be kind of sad to get sometimes. the parkland back yeah. from the rich people. <laughs> mm. uh, I mean, uh, those houses have to change hands uh, occasionally. Can we just like have it so next time you sell this house, uh, it's going back to the park board. That portion of your backyard isn't going back to the park board who legally owns it. It's just like uh, they're buying and selling this property that's going up astronomically. And uh, part of that property belongs to uh, the public, and it's somehow controver- too controversial to take the parkland back from the rich people who stole it. 
is it is challenging it'd be interesting to find at what point in history that that was allowed and why hmm. if there's any any historians that have followed that uh, well aaron can you believe we did 60 minutes all about the cedar isles uh master plan it is a it's a complicated large issue i I think I could talk about it for days after three years being part of it. <laughs> yeah, How, three years. Um, and the, on the worst form, here's a question to end the show with. This is the worst sure. form of public engagement ever invented, right? Am I right about that? It's pretty bad. I, um, yeah, I, I was um, unintentionally quoted in a Star Tribune article um, last summer. Um, talking about the how the the biggest voices in the room are largely white upper class neighbors of these lakes, and um, but that's kind of when you spend three years on something, and and this isn't necessarily to knock the park board because I think I think staff did a great job, um, just kind of managing what they had to work with. That this was their only means, and so they tried to draw in and even pay groups that were uh, represented diverse voices. Um, but in the end you have, I forget if it was, I think 15 of us on the CAC or some, somewhere around there who are um, mostly middle to upper class people who have the capacity to sit there for hours and hours, month after month, um, debating nuanced details of um, a park. And so if, if you, it just, yeah, it felt like, uh, if you really want to get, I just, I don't know what the solution really is, um, other than maybe just having staff and elected officials solve things rather than all the voices. I think you got to do public engagement in a different way. Yeah. And that's, I think that's where the power of anyone listening to this, who's actually, um, who will take that step and email their park board commissioner especially if they've never emailed them before. Um, I think I, and this could totally be me making this up or my own personal opinion, but I'm guessing some of these park board commissioners are sick of hearing from the same people, whether they're in favor of their, what they're commenting on or not. And so I think some new voices um, would actually be pretty helpful right now in swaying some of those votes. And I know park board commissioners sometimes will actually add some of their own ideas to master plans too. And so that could be where some other people's suggestions could come in. It is surprising if you're just coming to it fresh to local politics to discover you think park board politics would be less controversial. Like there's less police politics, less crime politics involved. It's about parks and recreation, but it's it can be the most not in my backyard thing in local politics because people start to think of this public park near to their home as literally their backyard and they defend it with uh, great energy and determination and so if you go to one of these three-hour meetings uh not don't ever volunteer to be on a cac but go to one of these meetings it's it's astonishing uh, how did you end up on serving on it who who did that to you? Oh boy, yeah. Well, I had I had some some thoughts about mid to late in the process that I, that I made a terrible mistake. <laughs> um, 
but then after rallying people to end up being actually in favor of some pretty reasonable things, I ended up feeling pretty good about it now. But um, but yeah, I, well, I missed out on the Lake Harriet and Bidet Makaska um, CAC, and I probably would have made the same mistake and tried to apply to be on that if I had known. Um, but I... I so my wife and I live on the kind of sort of near the northeast corner of Lake Harriet, and so what kind of motivated me was that I, f I felt like a huge flaw in that plan was keeping one way bicycling, um, because for us where we enter Lake Harriet is from Forty Third Street, and so if if you go just if your bike along the street which is counter to that one way path. Essentially, we could, to get to Lake Harriet Banshell using the bike path, we have to ride an extra, we have to ride, I think, almost three miles. But if we go to Lake Harriet Banshell using the, um, the street, or if it was a two-way bikeway there, it would be like a half mile or so. Hey, we're almost 70 minutes into this, Aaron. I think we should, we should shut it down. <laughs> wrap it up uh, yeah i think so if anyone has any questions they can um they can message me on twitter or anything yeah, i'm gonna include aaron's uh twitter handle in the description and also if you're watching on youtube youtube.com slash wedge live it will be on the screen as we as we talk about this i don't know why you would listen to 70 minutes about the if the cedar isles master plan is in the in the headline of a podcast episode don't don't click <laughs> you won't want to click on that uh, but if you're like us and you live near these lakes and you spend time there, uh, hopefully you got something uh, meaningful out of this. Uh, please comment on the Cedar Isles master plan uh, through March 10th, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and make sure to do the survey as the easiest option. Um, but then messaging your um, commissioner and at-large commissioners um, is, a, is another great way to help. Yeah. And get involved in park politics because we got we got some duds on the park board. And I think that's a result of people sleeping on the, on the park board. Uh, pay more attention and let these people know that you exist and you have thoughts. Okay. Thank you, Aaron Schaefer, a meteorologist Aaron Schaefer, for joining me to talk about the Cedar Isles Master Plan. This has been the Wedge Live Podcast. I'm your host, John Edwards. Thank you for listening. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now.